It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Marcia Cowan and her husband Izzy found a business that they could work on together when they opened Be So Creative. I love the relationship they have with their employees. Either they have the best employees in the world or they're the best people to work for. I have a hunch it's a bit of both. Marcia, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Well, Miss Paula, I really appreciate the fact that you, number one, came in my store and then felt like you wanted to invite me to be on. So thank you so much for having me. Uh-huh. Let's start with where were you born and raised? Okay. I was born in Dodge City, Kansas, and we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and lived there for a while, but then my dad was transferred to St. Louis. And we lived there for five years, but we found out that I cannot live where it's humid. And so the doctors told my family, you know what? You got to move back to New Mexico because it's nice and dry. So I have lived pretty much in New Mexico my entire life. And I think it's probably one of the most beautiful and most diverse states here in the U.S. And I'm really glad that this was where I was raised. Thinking about that humidity, I grew up in California, and now I live in Ohio, <laughs> and I did not know what humidity was. Oh, man. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will tell you, like I said, I've lived here all of my life, and because of traveling for the shop and going to the Baby Lock and the Bernina conventions that they have every year, I so admire people who live in humid areas because I couldn't do it. I don't know how y'all do it because I get there and I feel like I'm never dry off. And I will always say that people who live where it's humid have really beautiful plump skin because <laughs> those of us who live in New Mexico, bless our hearts, it's dry here. And a lot of times your skin starts to look like it's dry. So, yeah, I really admire people who live in humidity because I would never walk outside and exercise, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a special childhood memory? Yes, I do. And I will tell you that it's very interesting because I learned a lot of craft type things from my grandmothers. So from my dad's mom, I learned how to knit. From my mom's mom, I learned how to crochet, do hand embroidery. And I can remember when she lived on her farm, so I was probably four or five, we would go and visit her for a week or so in the summer. And she was a part of the Ladies' Aid Society. She lived north of Kansas City in Gower, Missouri. And so once a month, the Ladies' Aid Society, they would get together and they would do a potluck and they would quilt each other's quilts. And I can remember 
that we were there one time when the Ladies' Aid Society came. And my grandma had a quilting frame. There were eye bolts in their ceiling. And the frame was attached to ropes. And when they were quilting, they would lower it down. And when they were done, they would raise it back up to the ceiling and kind of tie it off on things on the wall. And I can remember laying under my grandma's Ladies' Aid Society quilt that they were working on. It's so vivid to me, the mental picture that I have, because a lot of my grandmother's quilts, which I do have, were made from flour sacks, sugar sacks, feed sacks. But they always used muslin. My grandma used muslin a lot as the background for her quilts. And I can remember laying under one of those quilts that they were working on. It looked like a stained glass window because the backing was muslin and the background was muslin. And then you had these really beautiful blocks that the light was kind of filtering through. And I really find that as, number one, an amazing memory because of what I do for a living now. And being a kid of four or five, you never think that you would have that connection because that's not where your mind goes as a little kid. But as an adult, I'm so thankful that I have that memory from my childhood that connects me with my grandmother and a bunch of other ladies that I have no idea. I don't remember any of the other women, but my grandma doing that. And for me, that's really a priceless memory for me. That is so neat. It's a fabulous memory. I will take it to my grave and I will be so blessed because I have that memory. And I'm thinking you must have felt like a little princess. Oh, I did. And one of the things I do remember about doing that, and of course, all the ladies had dresses on because, you know, they were my grandma's friends. And so laying under that, you saw their shoes, their knees. And the hand that was underneath to push the needle back up through. And then every once in a while, you would see the needles pop down into the fabric. And I mean, that's pretty specific thoughts, I think. So I think it really must have resonated with me, even though I wasn't a quilter at the time, because, you know, I was only four or five. I don't remember which. But to know that there was something in me that I felt good laying under that quilt and watching these ladies do that. Wow. How neat. Now, besides quilting, did you have other employment? I was a licensed manicurist for a number of years. But truthfully, when we had our kids, I was blessed to be able to stay home with them. And I actually, my husband and I, but mostly me, we actually homeschooled our kids when um, I'm going to be real honest with you. It was not a popular thing. I understand. I homeschooled also, and it was not popular. No, it was not. My husband and I lived in Chama, New Mexico. We have moved from Chama to Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's where our store is, which is at the very southern end of New Mexico. Chama, New Mexico is at the very northern end. And if you folded the map of New Mexico, with the sides, Chama's about right there in the middle, seven miles from the Colorado border, up in the mountains, beautiful, beautiful place. 
then we lived in a place that there were 3,000 people in a 35-mile radius. So we were in a really small community. So I did homeschool my kids. And so truthfully, my kids were my focus for a long time. I would never trade for that time that I had with my kids. We are a very close family. I'm not saying that you have to homeschool to be a close family, because that's not what I'm saying. But for us, any time there was a, what do I want to say, when kids get mad at you or you get mad at the kids, <laughs> and it happens. I mean, every family has that happen. And it's one of those things where I couldn't send them off to school. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of had to face what was going on and get it taken care of. And in a lot of ways, I'm really glad for that. Yeah. Wasn't always easy, but I'm glad I got to do it. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to share about your family? I'm just proud as punch of all of them. And we have a granddaughter who is 18, a grandson who is 16, and from the same family, a little guy who will be four in November. So <laughs> all three of those grandkids are the light of our lives. Yeah. So what brought you to Las Cruces? Well, we lived in Chama for 25 years. And it's a beautiful place, but it was just time we were getting older. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, the closest hospital was two hours away. You start thinking about that as you get older. Izzy, my husband, had a gravel and concrete plant, and he put in roads and septic tanks and water systems. He did all that up there because there was a lot of summer homes up there. So he sold the business, and we just talked about it, and it's like, you know what, we need to move somewhere. Our son actually graduated from New Mexico State University, which is here in Las Cruces, and we would go down and visit him, and we didn't want to move to Albuquerque. That's where my family, my mom and my sisters were living, or do live there. My mom has passed away, but my two sisters are still there. We thought, well, we could move to Albuquerque, but Albuquerque is really big. We just spent 25 years living in a 3,000-person community area, and we didn't want to move to a great big city. So Las Cruces is smaller than Albuquerque, and we moved to Las Cruces just because it had everything we wanted, but it wasn't huge, and it kind of had that hometown, small-town feel to it, and we liked that. So we moved here in 2004, three days before Christmas. So we've lived here for 18 years now. The mountains in Chama will always be our home, but this is a nice place too, just totally different geographically. Yeah, it does have that nice hometown feel. Before COVID, when we went out to visit our son in El Paso, he took us up to the farmer's market downtown Las Cruces. Mm -hmm. And I really thought Las Cruces was much smaller. So when I came to visit you at your shop, it's like, what is all this area? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and just to let you know, our little farmer's market has been voted one of the best in the U.S. So I hope you enjoyed the farmer's market when you visited. I did. It was nice. Wonderful. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? Oh, yes. I don't sit around very well. I like to do stuff. I probably had some ADHD, honestly, but I think because 
this was before they really started looking at what that meant. Yeah, I always have to do something. If I'm going to sit there, I'm going to sew on something or I'm going to knit or I'm going to crochet or I love to do counter cross stitch. Like I said, from my grandmothers, I was fortunate enough to learn how to do both of those hobbies, the crocheting and the knitting. My mom was an amazing seamstress. So me and my sisters started sewing when we were five. And I'm probably the one that probably made the most garments because quilting was always done by hand when I was younger and in high school and stuff. So quilting really wasn't done on a machine and all that like it is now. And so I made a lot of clothes during my high school years. But I have to tell you, I've done a lot of stuff. When we lived in Chama, I did oil painting and Anything that has to do with color, I want to mess with it, if that makes sense. So I think that is one of the things that I really love about quilting is that there are all these absolutely delicious colored fabrics that you get to play with and put together. And I jokingly tell people that every once in a while we'll get some fabric in and I tell the girls who work here with us, I say, I wish I could feel what it feels like to be that color. And so I like anything that has a lot of colors. And I like portable because I can't always be at a sewing machine. So that's one of the reasons why I like counted cross stitch because I can take it with me other places. And it's kind of the same for knitting and crocheting. So those are probably the ones that I gravitate to the most. Those are all fun crafts to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are there any other hobbies that you have? If I have time, I really like to redo furniture. My dad's hobby was woodworking, and I have some really beautiful furniture that my dad has made for me. And so that has always been something that I love. So redoing furniture, but you really have to have a lot of time to do that. And I don't. When you think about refinishing furniture, which item that you've done pops in your head first? I would say I redid an antique dresser for my granddaughter. And it turned out really nice. And so whenever I think, oh, I should do that again, I think of Anna's dresser. Yeah. So I would say that's probably... Another passion that I really love is I really, really love antiques. And I think that has to do with my grandmothers. My grandma had the quilting frame up on her ceiling. (laughs) She lived in an old farmhouse. And my dad's mother lived in a craftsman. My dad is from Jetmore, Kansas, which is 30 miles north of Dodge City. I see craftsman homes, the old ones. And it just gives me a very happy feeling. I have a lot of really nice antiques. And I do have some here in the store. A lot of them have quilts on them just to kind of protect them because I use them for displays. But that's just something that I do like. Yeah. And I was going to ask if your other hobbies somehow show up in your quilting, but displaying your quilts on them is one way. Are there others? Bringing my other crafts into my quilting. Not so much. 
when I start working on a quilt or I'm designing something, I'm just really focusing on the fabric and the look that I want. So that is probably something that I don't really, it's not like I bring in counted cross stitch or anything like that. I just don't do that. Mm-hmm. So how were you introduced to quilting? Well, I have to tell you, I had a friend in Chama. I'm sure you've already gotten the picture that it is an extremely small community. And one of my friends was a, and again, this was pre-rotary cutter, rotary ruler, cutting mat, all of that. So she loved to quilt and everything was done by hand. So the little library there would get grants to teach different classes. And the librarian asked my friend if she would teach a quilting class. She said, oh, sure, she would love to do that. Well, come to find out that if there was only one person in the class, they would still pay her to teach the class. I can remember it was wintertime, so when there's three or four feet of snow on the ground, a lot of work kind of stops. And my friend's husband wasn't working. You know, and she said, please take the class. And I had told her, I said, you know what? Oh, good gracious. Are you kidding me? You know, I'm not going to do any of this by hand. She goes, please take the class. So being the good friend that I am, (laughs) I said, okay. So I took the class. I absolutely loved it. So my very first quilt that I made was in my friend Pat's class. It was a sampler quilt. So it started out easy and finished up with Drunkard's Path. There were two blocks that had Drunkard's Paths in them. It had a sashing and a border, and it was all hand quilted. That was my introduction to quilting. And I'm going to tell you, again, I think it was because of all the colors and the fabrics and everything that was wonderful about it. That just grabbed a hold of me and it hasn't let go. It was 36 years ago, and I'm still doing this. Neat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is neat, you know, because she moved, and then the librarian asked me to teach the next sampler class. And so that got me teaching quilting. So Was that the very know. next class, or did she teach it for a few classes? She taught it for a few classes, but then they moved to... Pagosa Springs, Colorado, which was 45 miles away from Chama. And so the librarian said, hey, we still have interest. Do you want to do this? Well, sure. I love to teach. I love to teach. Love it. That and helping people pick fabrics. Because again, I get to play with the colors. Those are my favorite things. And I have to tell you, I really have a really bad habit, Paula, if you really want to know the truth. When we go somewhere, like in another city or whatever, If there's a quilt shop, I always stop because I always like to see what other people have in their stores. And if I see somebody that appears to be struggling (laughs) picking fabrics, I don't care if it's my store or not. I'll actually walk over to them and say, hey, what are you working on? And if they say, oh, well, I'm trying to pick fabric for, you know, a quilt and I just hate doing this part. And my insides get excited when I get to pick fabrics. Mm -hmm. And so... I'll say, oh, well, can I help you? And I know that there's probably some shop owners that are going, who is she and what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> but 
I'm just weird. It's just this automatic thing that comes over me and makes me want people to be successful with quilting. And I'm not saying that these other shops aren't helping people. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that there's just something in me that I wind up sticking my nose in maybe where it shouldn't, (laughs) but not with a malicious intent, believe me. Yeah. Especially if they said they're struggling to pick it out. What a help that would be. Yeah. Well, (laughs) they may not want it after I get over there and get going. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's a quilt that you made or another quilt, do you have a favorite quilt or quilt pattern? Well, let's think. Every one of them is special in its own way. Just kind of like your kids. You really don't have a favorite kid. There may be certain aspects of a kid that is really great and you love that about them. And that's kind of how it is for me, quilt blocks. But I really like Mariner's Compass. I love Dresden fans. Anything that has those degree type of things, I really love those. But then I also just love the simplicity of a log cabin. One thing I love about a log cabin is the fact that you can use a Dresden fan and make a barn raising, which is beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful made that way. Barn raising is probably one of my favorite layouts, but really just the simplicity of a log cabin or a pineapple block, depending on, again, where you lay your colors and you play with things, you get a totally different look. And so do I have a favorite? Maybe the pineapple. I'm going to say the pineapple because I've played with those and you can really do cool things with the center of a pineapple. And that would probably, I'm going to lead into another comment. Do you know who the Littlefoot Company is, Lynn Graves? No, I don't. Okay, well, now you have to understand that this was back in the 70s. And Lynn Graves was the first person to design a quarter-inch foot for sewing machines. And she was the first. Sewing machine companies did not cater to quilters in the 70s. And she had started quilting because, you know, our bicentennial was coming up. And so quilting was kind of making a resurgence Mm -hmm. out of the hand-piecing, hand-quilting thing. And so her company was called The Little Foot. And it was a quarter-inch foot. I actually bought one of those when it first came out because I was starting to do piecing on the sewing machine. So she actually moved to Chama. We're talking little town, right? And so she bought a friend of ours bed and breakfast who lived across the street from other dear friends of ours. And so when they came up to look, they came up and stayed at our friend's bed and breakfast. And my friend said, oh, I have a friend, Marcia, who is a quilter. You need to go see her and she'll show you some of her quilts. Well, see, Jackie, my friend that had the bed and breakfast, had no idea who Lynn and Sarah were. Sarah is Lynn's daughter. But she just knew that this lady did foundation papers and had a quarter-inch foot. That's all my friend Jackie knew. But she said, well, you know, you need to go see Marsha. So my friend called me and said, hey, this lady's going to come out with her daughter. And I told him to just come see you because you can show them your quilts. 
And I said, oh, that'd be awesome. So I kept expecting him to come. Well, they got to my driveway and they chickened out, which kind of made me chuckle. So a few months later, our friend that had the bed and breakfast, her husband was transferred and they put their bed and breakfast up for sale. And Sarah, Lynn's daughter, and Lynn found out about it and they bought it because they wanted to move to Chama and have a retreat place. And let's face it, a bed and breakfast, perfect, you know, to have a retreat center. So our friend who was that lived across the street from them was a realtor. And he told me, he said, oh, hey, Marsh, I wanted to let you know that there's some quilter lady that's moving to Chama. They bought Jeff and Jackie's B&B. And I said, oh, who's that? Well, like Lynn Graves. And I said, oh, Lynn Graves, the little foot lady. And, you know, my friend, he had no idea. He said, I don't know. And I said, oh, I bet you that's her. So they get there and they move in. And our son, he actually worked at our little drugstore. And Lynn came in there and got a prescription refilled and, you know, met my son. Well, being the good son that he is, he immediately called me and said, Mom, that little foot lady, Lynn Graves, has moved to town. And they've just moved into the B&B. And I said, oh, okay. So I hang up the phone. In Chama, I was known for my homemade cinnamon rolls. So what I did was made a batch of cinnamon rolls when my son got home from work. I said, get in the car. We're going and taking these to Lynn Graves at the B&B. So we jumped in the car, drove to Chama. I knocked on the door, having never met these people. And I'm standing there with a pan of beautifully iced warm cinnamon rolls. And I knocked on the door and I said, hi, I'm Marsha Cowan and welcome to Chama. Needless to say, they were kind of blown away first off. And I told her, I said, I just want you to know that I own one of your original little feet. Well, that just kind of got started, right, of me getting to know her. And her daughter had always wanted to have a quilt shop. So they bought another building there in town that had sat empty for a long time. And I would go in there and visit with them. And then the thing that was really cool was they were getting ready to do their retreats. But it was still kind of winter. And so they traveled. Lynn took her foundation papers and her little feet. And they did four quilt shows, actually five, around the country. They did Lancaster, Pennsylvania. At the time, it was Williamsburg, Virginia, but it's now, I think, in Hampton, Virginia. Road to California in Ontario. And the Pacific Quilt Show, I think it's San Jose. And Houston, the Quilt Festival. So what happened was... Our son decided when he was a junior in high school that he was ready to go back into the public school system. And so we actually put him in a Christian school in Albuquerque, and he lived with my older sister. And so Lynn asked me, would you be willing to go to our shows and demo our products? And I thought, oh, God, that sounds kind of cool. And so I said, okay, well, what does that entail? And she said, well, Sarah will drive to the shows in their motorhome with all of our stuff that we were selling. 
and you and I will fly in and we'll do the show and then help them pack up and then we fly home and she drives home. And I thought, oh, golly, that sounds really great. So our son, we took him to Albuquerque in mid-January. And at the end of January, I was in Williamsburg, Virginia at my first quilt show. And my job was to sit and sew and demo the quarter-inch foot and lens foundation papers and visit with people. And I don't know, Paula, if you can tell, but I don't have a problem talking to folks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was like the best job in the world for me because I love quilting. I love talking to people and I love showing people how to do things. And so this was truthfully a match made in heaven for me, honestly. It was perfect. So for the next two or three years, that's what I did. I traveled with them to the shows when they would actually have retreats at the retreat place. I would go and help them and work at the retreats and help their retreat goers. And then I also worked in the quilt shop. So that's kind of how I got into what I'm doing now. How fun. Yes. Right place, (laughs) right time, but that would be really cool. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. And I will tell you, in a lot of ways, I kind of miss doing that. Because number one, you get to see a lot of different parts of the country. And you get to meet a lot of really great people. And it's really great to be able to share your passion. But I'm still doing that here in the store. I just don't travel as much. Yeah. So now I'm curious. So is that quarter foot, the little foot, your favorite tool? Oh, golly, that's a hard question because every sewing machine company has a quarter inch foot. And so my Bernina has one. My baby lock has one. The one that I use the little foot on, the little quarter inch foot, is on my featherweight. Because that's the machines we would demo on Mm -hmm. at the quilt shows. Truthfully, is that one of my favorite tools? Yes, because when you're quilting, you got to have a good quarter inch. And, And that was a successful one. My favorite tool, golly, you can't beat the rotary cutter and the rotary ruler and the rotary mat. That really helps you crank out stuff. But I'm going to tell you, I really love working with different rulers and and such. That's like one of my most favorite things to do. I love it. Absolutely love it. So again, that would be like saying, which is your children is your favorite. Right. I can tell you, I love the Studio 180 Tucker Trimmer. That's probably one of the best half square triangle square up things. There's a lot of them on the market. For myself, I feel that that's probably the best, the one that I like the most. So I like tools. (laughs) And I will tell you, because I like tools, I actually have a membership called the Gadget Gurus. And the whole premise of my membership is that I teach you how to use all these different tools. So, yeah, it's fun. And I love doing that. I might be jumping ahead, but... Is that okay. there in your shop or do you do that online? It is a membership. So what we do is we have three meetings on Zoom a month. We do show and tell. I will 
demo something. Right now, I'm kind of leaning towards just quick little projects that people can do and get ready for Christmas. Then we do a sew along, and then we'll do another Zoom that question and answer kind of thing. So that is something that we do. I always try and send out little surprises to our members. It's really a lot of fun because the members that are in my membership are all different skill levels. And so that makes it kind of fun because the membership starts at like the very beginning and we're moving up. So people will eventually learn how to do a Mariner's Compass and that kind of stuff. Because some of that stuff people look at and go, oh, good grief, I can't do that. And my whole thing is, yeah, you can. Let me just break it down for you. It's part of this to shop, but it's not. That's kind of like my own thing. Yeah. So when you're working on a quilt, is there part of the process that you get more excited about? Or do you like each step along the way? Well, I like to design stuff. I don't get to spend as much time doing that as I would like. But you know what? One of these days, I'll probably retire and then I can do that. I love picking the fabric and putting your pieces or your blocks together. I love doing that because depending on what goes where, color-wise, things are either going to pop out or recede, and I really love that. I'm probably, I'm going to say, more of a topper than a quilter. I do enjoy hand quilting, but you don't have time to hand quilt if you're trying to make samples for the store. So I have to tell you, I am richly blessed with, in my opinion, two of the most talented long-arm quilters in our area. They actually work for me, and I am blessed to have them quilt a lot of our quilts for me personally and for the store. I will tell you the thing I dislike the most about quilting. I hate putting on the binding. I hate it. And it's almost like I get to that point and then it's just kind of like, okay, I'm done. And it can be beautifully quilted, but it needs the binding on. So I have another friend that she loves to do it, so I pay her to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I don't know if I'm supposed to admit that or not, Paula. Well, I think we are all different. And working together makes something beautiful. Amen, Paula. You are right on the money there, girl, for sure. So here's my fun question, Marcia. Okay. What was your worst quilting experience? Well, I will tell you kind of a little backstory. I did a lot of hand piecing, and my dad had a massive heart attack and was in ICU for a number of weeks. And so I was working on kind of like a star within a star. And I had collected all these different fabrics that had the gold metallic on the outside edges. And so it was kind of scrappy, but the whole thing was done with black background and black sashing. So when my dad went into the hospital, my mom called me and we drove down from Chama because they lived in Albuquerque. And I brought my big bag of all my fabrics that I was making this quilt from. Well, I got the quilt done. Uh, Every time I think about it, it makes me just want to scream. But anyway, I had a long arm individual. I had asked him, I said, okay, I would like an outline of my blocks in 
not gold metallic, but just a gold thread. Can you do that and keep everything like a quarter of an inch, like I would do if I were hand quilting? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And uh, the gentleman said, oh, yeah, not a problem. That will be real easy to do. Okay, wonderful. Oh, my gosh, Paula, I got that quilt back, and I wanted to cry because it was an absolute mess. I really wish that he would have called me and said, you know, Marcia, I liked your idea, but it's not going to work. We just need to quilt in black thread on your black and call it a day. But he didn't do that. It was a mess. It was a mess. That was my dad's quilt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My dad passed away a few years later, but that was always going to be my tribute for my dad because. You sit there in their room and you're piecing all these blocks and it just really meant so much to me. And when I got it back and saw what a mess it was, I was devastated. And so I will tell you, I folded it up and I put it away and I didn't do anything with it. Well, one of my friends, we were talking about our kind of the same thing. What's your worst experience? And she said, would you please let me take all that quilting out? And I was like, oh, my. I said, well, you know, it's a ton. No, I don't want you to have to do that. And she said, please let me do that for you. I want to do it for you. I said, well, if you really want to, okay. So she took out every bit of that quilt for me. Wow. Yeah. What a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. But she would be willing to unstitch all of that. I have to tell you, I have yet to get it quilted. And I can tell you that the girls here at the store, the two that do it for people, I would be so happy to just let them have at it. I wouldn't ask them to do anything special like I asked that gentleman. And I think that one of the things that I really learned from that is that if you're going to take your product, your quilt, your beautiful quilt that you've worked so hard on, if you're going to take that to a long-arm quilter, and there are fabulous long-arm quilters, you need to make sure that you sit down and you two have a really in-depth conversation about what it is you want on the quilt. And that if they feel like they can't do that for you, to allow them the honesty to say, you know what, I appreciate your vision, but I'm not the one to do that for you. and. It's made me be a better communicator, I think, with those who I do work with for having my quilts quilted. Yeah, we learn through a lot of these experiences, don't we? Oh, you've got it. Because you don't expect that kind of thing. And so I couldn't get real mad at him because I should have communicated, look, if, if this isn't going to work, you call me and tell me and we'll go another route. But it was a very good learning experience, and I will tell you one of these days, I will get that quilt quilted, and it will be a very special quilt for me. Mm -hmm. But i got too much going right now, so, so it's going to be a while before that happens. Yeah. I think you already touched on this. Why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time on something else? I do think messing with the color, messing with the patterns and, and again, how color plays off of one another. 
aren't you glad we live in a colorful world? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love color. I love color. And you can always find color around you. Some of it's more muted. Some of it's bold and in your face. And you get to play with that and actually make something. You get to turn out a product that allows you to experiment with those colors. Sometimes you hit a home run. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I always learn something when I take the time to make something. And other than making quilts for your shop... Who do you make your quilts for? My kids and my grandkids, special people that are in our lives. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't, and this is probably going to sound snotty, and I sure don't mean to have it sound snotty, but you don't just give a quilt to anybody. And why I say that is this. Not everybody understands the heart and soul that you're putting into something that you're making for them. Right? Right. And I could spend weeks on a quilt and give it to somebody, and they have absolutely no connection whatsoever to quilting or understand what you've gone through to make that for them. And it winds up out in the doghouse. So I'm going to be real honest with you. There are only certain people who know me and my husband, and my kids, that they're like family members that have actually been in our home and either sat down and made something with me, because I will tell you, anytime we have kids at our house, my grandkids, the first thing they say when they come to our home is, hey, Mimi, what are we making? (laughs) Every time. And they're 18, 16, the little little four-year-old, he's not there yet, but he will be. And we have kids that they're my kids from another mother kind of thing. And so they know what I put into it. So there are special people that I would make a quilt for, but I'm not whipping out baby quilts for everybody that has babies. Mm -mm, No, if I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to make something and it's going to go to like Project Linus or something like that. Mm -hmm. Are you working on something for yourself right now? No. But I teach a $15 sampler, and I really love the pattern. It's a mystery, so the ladies don't know what it's going to look like. And I like doing that to them (laughs) because, let's face it, it gets you out of your box. We get in a rut, we stick in our box, and we're always hesitant to try something that has a weird technique in it that you've never done before. So my $15 sampler here at the shop, the reason that I love it is because, and this is the other kicker, you're not making one block a month. This last month, we made three blocks. The month before, we made three or four blocks. I'm keeping them guessing, number one. Number two, they don't know really what it looks like. Number three, when they asked me what the fabrics were going to be, I said, well, I want you to think of a box of crayons. So I'm really messing with their heads, which I kind of like doing. When I say, oh, okay, well, this month, I'm going to show you this new technique on how to do this. And they come away and they're excited. And they come back and they're excited. I will tell you, though, that last month's block, there was two 12-inch blocks in it and then a 6-inch block. They didn't like that 6-inch block, which I thought was very interesting. But I told them, I said, you know, the thing is, the smaller the block gets, the more accurate you have to be. 
And they're like, yeah, we can see that. (laughs) And we didn't really like that. So I did think that was kind of humorous. So I'm working on that. And I really love working with felted wool. I love that. We live in New Mexico. When I was talking to you, I told you it was 95 degrees here. It's hot here. Our shop doesn't sell a lot of flannel. I used to carry the felted wool and it didn't sell well, so I got rid of it. But I love it. So I am actually going to be teaching. It's called Be Happy, and it is a wool and flannel applique project. I can hardly wait to get my hands on it. I will tell you anything that's like that, anything that's a block of the month or my sampler quilts, that kind of thing. I pick those because I like them. Yeah. And so that feeds that part of me. When you're making samples for a store, you don't always get to do because you've got to get the sample made. And if I had my druthers, there's a couple of new tools that are out on the market. They have a lot of angles in them, and I would love to be playing with that. But I will eventually. I may do a class on those, and then that'll allow me to make something like that. Always something new to learn. Oh, amen, sister. And that's the other thing. Don't you think that when we start thinking that we know it all, we might as well wrap it up? (laughs) Because you can always learn something new. The reason that I say that is because of my membership. Like I said, the first stage that people work through is beginner. And like I said, we have people that have been quilting years. And every one of them who have gone through the beginner stage Everyone to a person has come back and said, I can't tell you how much I learned from just the beginner stage. And I've been quilting for years. That makes me happy. So we can always learn something. And I think the more classes you can take with a variety of teachers is always a really good thing. Because you always learn something. Mm -hmm. What is a quilting tip that you like to share? Okay, I have two of them. There's two tools that I think every quilter should have in their repertoire of stuff that is always by them in their studio. Actually, maybe three. I think you need to have a fabric folding pen, either a roll and press or a wooden iron, and a sheet of extremely fine sandpaper, 400 grit or more. And let me tell you why I think everybody needs those three tools and that they should use them all the time. The fabric folding pin, it kind of looks like a pin, but it's got like this kind of a felty, rubbery tip. And you unscrew it and it comes with a solution and you put six drops of this solution in the little cylinder and fill it up the rest of the way with water. And then you screw the lid back on And as you are piecing, you take that fabric folding pen and you run that little rubbery tip right on your stitching. And then you take that and you get your sandpaper and you lay your block on top of the sandpaper and you open it up. And I use my fingers to really move when I open it. I flip it open and I really use my fingers to push that block, the top, away from the stitching. And then I have a wooden iron. A lot of people use the roll and press. And I use my wooden iron, and I, quote, wooden iron that seam down. If everybody would do that, 
you would have no like little laid over puckers where your seam allowances are and you would be more accurate. This is something I demo all the time. I will tell you when you start looking at people's things and they say, you know what, golly, my blocks aren't coming out right. And when they bring them in and I look at them and then I say, oh, let me show you here. And when you actually like look at where a seam has and they've opened up the piece and they've sewn their whole block together and you go back and you look where the seams are and you can take your finger and you can push over and there may be an eighth of an inch. Once you push that over, that was actually kind of folded on itself. And I see that a lot. And if I could get everybody using those three tools, their life would be better. And people say, well, what do I need the sandpaper for? And the reason that I use a real high grit sandpaper, like a 400, is that if you lay your piece on your table or your plastic table or whatever it is that you've got around your sewing machine, and you push that seam allowance open and you try and use your rolling press or a wooden iron, that has a tendency to get shoved because the surface is slick. So if you use the sandpaper under that, it holds the one side of your block down, and then I just smooth everything over away from that seam allowance, and it holds that in place too so that you can actually use the wooden iron on top of the seam allowance. Wow. Tell me about how you went from having quilting as a hobby, and then you also worked in the other quilt shop, but now you have a business. How did it go from a hobby to business? When we first moved to Las Cruces, I was still traveling with Lynn. She was still going to the shows. So what she would do is she would fly me to wherever the show was. And I started teaching in Albuquerque at Ann Silva's Bernina. She is a friend of ours. And so I was teaching there, and we were having lunch one day, and she said, um, I want to ask you something. She said, what are you going to do down there in Las Cruces? And I said, well, I'll probably just keep traveling with Lynn doing that because I love that. And she said, well, I think you need to be a sub-dealer for me in Las Cruces. And I said, oh, okay, what is that? So she told me that she would have a shop down here and we would be sub-dealers for her and we could buy our machines through her and that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, okay. In my brain, Paula, I'm going to tell you, I was like, uh, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to have a quilt shop. Are you kidding me? So she said, look, go home and talk to Izzy tonight and, uh, you know, we can talk more tomorrow. So I called Izzy that night and I said, well, and wants to know if we would be interested in being sub-dealers, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, this sounds interesting. Go back and talk to her tomorrow. And I said, okay. But in my head, I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. I said, no, I'm not going to do a quilt shop. Are you kidding? So I go in the next morning. She does not say anything. It's not good morning, Marcia. How are you, Marcia? She said, I've been thinking. I don't think you need to be a sub-dealer for me. I think you need to be your own dealer. And is it okay if I give your name to our district manager for Bernina. And I said, well, yeah, you can give it to her. So I taught my class and I got in the car and I drove three hours to Las Cruces and the district manager called us that night. Can we come talk to you? <laughs> and again, I'm just thinking, yeah, well, you can come talk, but it isn't happening. Well, you have to understand that at the time Izzy was working 
at Hale Staff, which is a government thing, 45 miles right by White Sands. Okay. And so he's thinking, well, this sounds kind of interesting because I could do repair. And I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. So I'm not kidding you. Like four days later, the district manager was here talking to us. And so it's like, well, I guess we could check it out. And the next thing we know, we are quilt shop owners and Bernina sewing machine dealers. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? And we have been in business. We start our 18th year on October 17th. Congratulations. That's a milestone. I'll tell you what, after the last three years that we've had, two years, mm-hmm. it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's huge because I have had different friends that are quilt shop owners and they've closed their stores because of COVID. Yeah. That makes me sad. I hate for any small business to close. So the fact that we are still here and thriving, I'm eternally grateful. You named Your business, Be So Creative, how did you come up with that name? We actually added baby lock machines about four years ago. We were at first called Bernina Sewing and Design. And when we brought on baby lock, we really thought we better change the name because we didn't really think baby lock would like for us to only have Bernina in our name. So... (laughs) We had a meeting with all the girls that work for us, and I have truly the best staff on the planet. And we were all kicking around names, and Stephanie came up with Be So Creative. And we all went, oh, that's perfect. And so it's a perfect name. Perfect name. I love it. It is cute. We try and encourage people to be creative and to try new things and step out of their box. And it's perfect. I just love our name. I love our logo because we have a little... It looks kind of like an antique sewing machine, but we have where the knobs and the spool pins go. We put the Zia symbol, which is the symbol off of the New Mexico flag. That's part of our logo because I love our state and I'm proud of where we're from. So I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but we do from New Mexico. When it was voted on what is the most easily recognized flag of all the state flags, New Mexico was the winner. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Huh. Yep. So check it out. You see it and it's kind of like, oh, and the Zia symbol is what is in the center of our flag. Yeah. And it's cute. I'm looking at it right now and I was looking at it while you were telling me about it. Nice. Good. So back when you opened your shop, how exciting was it when that first customer came in and actually bought something? I have to tell you, I was blown away. And I will, and I'm really serious. Anytime anybody came in and bought a sewing machine from us, I had two other gals that kind of worked. It was Marsha Brownfield and her sister, Pam Sanders. And anytime we would sell a machine, we would go into the office, shut the door and do a happy dance. (laughs) And I will tell you on occasion, we still do that because first off, It's a really humbling experience to think that people want to buy from you because somebody's recommended you. That's pretty amazing. And when we do our job right, you're going home with the machine that's going to be perfect for you. And that's something to dance about, in my opinion. 
I would say I'm really, really happy. I feel good when we are able to send people home with exactly what they want because they come back in and they're so excited with their purchase and, oh man, I love that machine and, oh, you ought to see what I've made and we're big on show and tell. (laughs) We want people to bring in what they've done. I'm going to tell you a quick story. We were in a different location than we are right now and it was myself and I think Marsha was working, the other Marsha. And this lady came in and I said, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, good. I said, well, what are you working on? She said, well, I just finished something. I said, oh, I wish you would have brought it in. She said, well, I have it in the car. I said, oh, well, go get it. We want to see it. Well, the other Marsha was teaching a mastery class on how to use your sewing machines. So the lady comes in and I said, oh, come on, we've got to show everybody in the class. So we go in, we open the quilt up, we show everybody in class. The ladies are oohing and on that were in the class. And gosh, that's beautiful. And she really did do a beautiful job. So she comes out. I'm helping her fold this quilt up. And I look up and she's crying. And I thought, oh, Marcia, you have stepped in it now, sister. I thought I had embarrassed her. And I said, oh, my gosh. I said, are you okay? And she said, yes. And I said, I'm so sorry if I embarrassed you by making you take that in there. I said, I would never have done that. And she said, that's not why I'm crying. And I said, oh, well, how come you're crying? She said, this is the first time I have ever had anybody comment or make a fuss over something that I've made. I have to tell you. I was blown away by that. I honestly could not believe that here is this lady who is doing absolutely beautiful work and nobody ever made a fuss over it. I couldn't believe it. And so I will tell you that we've seen everything under the sun here by people bringing in different things. And one thing I've learned, there is always something you can compliment people on. And you never know who needs that at a girl, at a boy, because they may not get it anywhere else but in this shop. And so that is one of the things that we really, I mean, we stress. Let us see it. Let us show everybody what you're working on. And it's because of that lady. And I have to tell you, I don't remember what she looks like. I don't remember her name. I don't remember anything about her, but I remember her tears, and what she said to me that day. Yeah, we just never know what others are going through. You got that right. And the way the world has been lately, I think we need to start being a little kinder to one another. Mm -hmm. Well, I was looking on your website, and I saw you have something called Creative Crate. Yes. What's that about? Yes, (laughs) okay. We've had a number of customers say to us, how come you don't have a subscription box? You know what? When people ask, we're going to provide. And so we decided to do a subscription box. So every month, you pay your monthly fee and you get a box that you don't know what it is because I'm not showing you the project. That's just, you know, I'm kind of tough on that. I like everybody to have a mystery, right? So you sign up and you get your monthly box. And it has everything you need to make that project. Plus, 
gadgets and goodies that will enhance your project or just make you feel good because you have one. (laughs) And so it is a monthly subscription. It's closed for right now. I'm not taking any new members, but I will open that up again in January. And the other thing that you get is it's not just stuff, but I do a video on how to make your project. And my videos aren't like one long video. They're broken up in chunks. So you're not sitting there for an hour. You can watch this and then you do that and then you go to the next thing and watch that. And that's part of the thing that you get with that. Private Facebook page for our people. Yeah, it's fun. That sounds exciting. It is. And I wanted to mention that when I came into your shop, I really enjoyed meeting Sarah. She Mm -hmm. was very gracious and chatted with me. I really appreciated her. Yeah, she's a doll, I'm telling you. And she remembers everybody's name. That's amazing. It is. And she's just so lovely when she greets people. And here's the deal. She is not a quilter or a sewer. We're kind of pulling her into it, you know, (laughs) a little bit at a time. But, you know, you can't teach nice and you can't (laughs) teach friendly. You can get people to act that way. But some people just have it inherently inside them. And Sarah is a very, very gracious woman. Yeah. Well, she She indicated to me that she was just learning. So I figure she wants to learn. (laughs) Yeah, she is. I love it. Where can we find your business? We are on Facebook and we are on Instagram. And our Instagram is B-B-E and then an underscore and then so S-E-W underscore creative. And you will find on our Instagram, on our Be So Creative page, it's actually the Zia symbol with a quilt block in the middle. So when you see that, that'll be what it looks like. It's purple with a little quilt block in the center. So that is on our Instagram page. And our Facebook, the Zia symbol is the one that is on our Be So Creative page as well. But everything else has the little tiny sewing machine. So you can find us on those two. We do have a website, and it is BeSoCreative-NM.com, and that is how people can find us, and I hope they'll find us. We do a Facebook Live Comment Sold Sale every Thursday night at 6 o'clock Mountain Time, and we have a lot of fun doing that. You know, I'm so blessed with my customers, blessed with the ladies I get to work with. I love what I get to do. It's awesome. And one more thing that I saw on your website, Swan Sheridan is coming to your shop. Yes, she is a friend of ours. We love Miss Swan. And you did say that you had her on your program, Quilter's Life. She's fabulous, isn't she? Yeah, I enjoyed visiting with her. If any of your listeners ever have the opportunity to take a class from her, she's an excellent teacher. They would learn so much from her. And it's all done on a domestic sewing machine. All of her machine quilting is domestic machine. You don't have to have a big long arm. You do it all on your machine. And she is fabulous. Yeah. Well, Marcia, is there anything else you wanted to share with me today? It has been an honor and a privilege to sit and visit with you. And I can't thank you enough for asking me. Well, thank you, Marcia. Bye-bye. Bye.
can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.